welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Home Efficiency. Hello, clean tech enthusiasts. My name is Scott Cooney, and my company has done energy and water efficiency retrofits for more than 13,000 homes and small businesses, saving our customers more than $3 million a year on their electric and water bills, while also reducing more than 11 million pounds of carbon pollution per year. Would you like to start offering this type of service in your community? Do it for a living? Make money? You can. Check out homeefficiency.com for more info. We do flat fee consulting to help you get started with our model, training you, giving the inventory, tools, software, and support you'll need. No royalties, no hidden fees, no sneaky add-ons. You can just get started. Ready to work with your hands and make a difference every day? Do it. Go to homeefficiency.com. Check out. So we talked about lithium and we talked about batteries generally, supply supply and demand, that kind of thing. Um, we, we were supposed to focus on nickel, so sorry for deceiving a little bit on, on mistake and uh, you know getting onto these other topics a lot and not focusing on nickel. But um, what is the supply versus demand situation of nickel right now and in the next five to 10 years? Obviously, Elon highlighted that. What, yeah, what's the situation there like, like, you know, like we talked about with lithium? Yeah, so with nickel, it's a slightly different situation. Um, essentially, you know, right now, the market is slightly oversupplied for, for nickel in general. Now, the key thing to remember with nickel, unlike the other battery minerals that we talk about, lithium or cobalt uh, or graphite, is that it's a much bigger market. So it's just over 2 million tonnes. And batteries are kind of like less than 5% of that at the moment. So it's a very small demand on a huge market, effectively. Um, and that market is slightly oversupplied at the moment. Um, now, if you if you looked at the nickel price, you'd be potentially surprised by that. So the nickel price now is kind of over $17,000 per tonne, which is quite a high price. Um, and it seems to be, you know, at the moment, the market is relatively disconnected from the fundamentals. But... You know, this is being driven by arguably by um, the kind of Chinese economic rebound following the virus and some disruption to supply in um, New Caledonia and Indonesia. Now, um, we expect over the next five years, so by the mid 2020s, that the you know the main demand growth will be the battery industry, and it will start to flip that market into undersupply by the mid 2020s. And then, um, yeah, so we're looking at a slightly you, longer duration. You think that based on the, the pipeline or, or based on how you think the market will actually just react as well to, um, like that it'll just be too slow to react to, to increase supply? Well, no, the, the industry is already acting to increase supply now. So, um, you know, what we're seeing is... Um, the development of what we, you know, of, well, I don't know how much you know about nickel mining, but we, we call them HPOW operations, high pressure, high pressure acid leaching operations in Indonesia, which is um, a technology with kind of a, a, a sketchy past. It's not been that successful in, in the majority of the places it's been used, but we're seeing investments primarily by Chinese companies in Indonesia to develop these nickel laterite deposits and produce um, nickel chemicals focused at the battery supply chain. Um, so we're starting to see the investment, but the, I think the, the issue you've got is that 
kind of the reverse of what you're seeing in, in cobalt is that um, you're seeing increasing quantities of nickel going into the battery alongside right. this huge ramp in demand. So even with the investments that we're seeing now, which I should add, you know, the, the nickel industry is depending on them being successful. If they're not su successful, there's a huge issue for nickel. And as I say, to date, they haven't been. But, you know, over the last couple of years, what you've seen is these Chinese operations or Chinese companies who um, have stated some really low investments or capex requirements to build these plants. Historically, as I say, they've been patchy partly because they haven't worked that well, but also because they've run over, badge, um, run over budget massively. And these new Chinese operations are much lower capex and you know, you're dependent on, on them working well. Um, without that, it's going to be a huge problem. Is it clear that's from some kind of technological innovation or uh, just... Uh, I think it's more of a kind of learning curve. Um, mm. So, mm. you know, it's a, it's not it's been around a while, but there's not that many of those upper, of these HPOW operations. And um, yeah, what you tend to find is, or, or what's likely to happen is that if it works well, and and there's a couple of these these um, new projects coming online this year, if they work well, you'll just get like a carbon copy of that operation somewhere else in Indonesia and they'll just spring up very, very quickly if they, if they work, which um, at the moment, there's no reason to believe they won't work, but um, um, yeah, you know, we're kind of, it's yet to be seen if they will. Um, but without that, once you get to the mid 20s, well, even probably before without any of that supply coming online, you know, if it doesn't work, there's a, there's a big problem for nickel and it's becoming, you know, high on the agendas of the raw material sourcing yeah. departments with automakers and sale manufacturers is, you know, if we move to high nickel, you need a lot, a lot more nickel. And, you know, you've got this situation where you could find it becomes very expensive. Yeah, it must be, uh, it's going to be a little stressful to have a bit of a question mark on the, on the, the, the methodology, just um, that it's not a hundred percent, you know, um, uh, proven and, and ready. But uh, so we've also, we've, we've talked with uh, the president of Talon Metals about their sort of um, North American uh, operations, potential operations, and green green nickel. Um, obviously, there's a lot. Of, there's a push for across the industry, uh, the, the auto, automotive industry, to have as green of supplies as possible. There's always a, a kind of push and pull with mining, right? Um, and there's a kind of I think a, might be a, a public relations battle or, or challenge trying to scale up mining while um, keeping the, the focus on the greening of transportation. So there's this, yeah. this focus on green nickel. Um, what can you say about, about green nickel in general and about these kind of North American operations and European localized operations versus, you know, as, as we've talked, getting things from China and Indonesia? Yeah, so there's, as you say, there's kind of two different things going on. So these really focus around two different types of deposits. So as I said, there's the laterite deposits in Indonesia, which are um, very low grade, but they're very big. Or you have sulfide deposits outside, which is these kind of more green operations that um, you're talking about typically. They tend to be smaller. All of the big ones have essentially been discovered and are already being uh, uh, exhausted. So um, Globally. Uh, pretty yeah i mean they haven't found a really big one for a while i mean there are you know there's obviously some exceptions there are some operations that are relatively big but typically now all of the kind of bigger ones have been found and they're already mined so that's why you're moving into these lower concentrations of nickel in laterites that um 
that you're seeing elsewhere. So um, yeah, there's a number of projects in kind of Australia, Australia and Canada where um, companies are looking at uh, mining with uh, zero emissions, which is huge. Um, it's important to say that this is not just uh, a push from within these mining companies themselves, there's a push from everywhere. So automakers and cell manufacturers are very concerned with the life cycle emissions associated with production of the battery. You've seen some regulations come in, in in Europe or will be coming in in the future that focus around CO2 emissions. Again, you have to, you'll have to print CO2 emissions from production on the battery itself for, for the customer. And then um, having a certain percentage of recycled materials in the battery. So this is a huge focus and, you know, any, anything that a miner or a raw material producer can do to reduce those emissions is going to be valued by the downstream customer. On the other side of it, the issue you've got with Indonesia that kind of drew attention to nickel mining in particular um, and this kind of green nickel question is uh, originally there was um, the plan was uh, what's called deep sea tailing. So essentially the tailings from the mine get dumped in the deep sea, um, which obviously is not particularly environmentally friendly. Um, yeah. So now you're starting to see some of those operations change their plan to what's called dry stack tailings, which is essentially backfilling the mine with the tailings as you, uh, uh, as you go, essentially. So you're putting those, that material back into the mine and kind of leaving it as you found it is the, is the concept. Um, but that increases costs. So there's some questions around that. The other side of it as well would be that in Indonesia, you have um, a lot of coal-fired power on, on the grid, which is obviously an issue as well. Whereas you see, for example, you mentioned, I know this isn't mining, but in terms of um, life cycle emissions, Northvolt is all renewable power. A lot of mining operations are transferring to renewable power and electric mining vehicles. So um, they're, the, they're the kind of the issues that that, that Indonesian uh, supply chain have. Um, so you've got two different they- sides of it. And they have very big aspirations and Europe has very big, um, you know, is likely to, you know, require greener stuff in the future. Uh, is there, what's the potential for, for sourcing nickel in Europe more uh, as well? Is- uh, yeah, there, I mean, there is certainly potential there. And I think that you will see those uh, those operations should, you know, as and when they get funded and into production, they will be favoured by the local seller automaker. So, you know, they're going to, uh, I don't want to say attract a premium, but I don't think they're going to have a problem selling their material. But I think when you look at the overall global picture, um, there, there's probably not going to be enough supply coming from, you know, North America or coming from Europe to meet the demand locally. So you're going to have to be dependent on some materials coming from other regions. And, and typically Southeast Asia and Indonesia will be, be that place for nickel. Um, and, and you're starting to see, um, you know, cell makers look to, so you know, recently we saw um, announcements by the Indonesian government and not really details confirmed yet, but um, about um, LG Chem and CATL setting up battery operations within Indonesia itself to be closer to the source of material and, you know, nickel being a big part of what goes into batteries. So, um, you know, we're waiting. I mean, it's still a long way off and there's still a lot, I'm sure, to be worked out for those operations, but we're starting to see something happen there. Um, but certainly, you know, you've got the mining aspect within, say, Europe and North America, then, of course, much longer term, but um, recycling volumes as well. So recycling would be a huge part of regional supply in, in both of those areas. 
So uh, one one thing um, you know that the EV rev revolution sort of gets people excited about is sort of uh, uh, getting out of the grip of of OPEC and the oil, the centralized oil industry. And one thing I talked talking with Howard Klein of RKI Equity about was sort of the the concern that's too much um, lithium, uh, like like you said, the processing, the getting it battery grade, um, happen, happens like almost most of it, the large majority of it happens in China. You were talking about nickel, you know, it's you know Indonesia is a very heavy, heavy, you know, this is where you're going to get a lot of it. Um, is there a kind of concern about geopolitics and and you know um, sort of a semi monopoly, you know, not full monopoly, but you know, kind of towards a monopoly kind of uh, control of these supplies? Yeah, I mean, I, as, you, as you say, you know, with most of the battery supply chain, either the resource is controlled by China or it's uh, processed by China. So it's the same in cobalt. 85% um, of battery chemicals for cobalt are processed in China. You've got similar numbers. You've got, I think, around uh, 70 or more percent for lithium. I, I can't remember the exact number for lithium. Nickel, you know, up until recently, nearly all nickel processing from Southeast Asia was done in China. Certainly a lot of the battery chemicals are made in China. Graphite, a lot of the graphite itself is produced in China and 100% of the processing is done there. So... Um, We're talking about one country, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like all... Uh, I mean, yeah, it's uh, what you've seen as well is, as I say, where where the resource is not domestic to, to China, there's been investments to secure that material. So sounds like you've, you know, on the on the on the show, you've spoken about lithium a, a lot, but you've seen Chinese investments in lithium all over the world. Same for cobalt. You've seen big Chinese investments in the DRC to secure cobalt raw materials. Just recently, China Molly. Um, bought the um it's a, it's a it's to be developed it's just a resource at the moment there's no mine there but it's a kisamfu project from freeport mcmoran who are um, american uh, primarily copper company mining company um, and they bought their big co copper cobalt mine in the drc off them back in 2016 for two and a half billion dollars and they've just paid 550 million for this un undeveloped deposit um the same thing you're seeing, as I said, in Indonesia, investments in Indonesia and nickel are primarily coming from Chinese companies. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of reliance on China. So I think, um, yeah, I think it's kind of to your question, you need to see more action from other regions in the world and kind of putting their money where their mouth is and trying to secure some of this material. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, I guess it's a... It's a concern because it's not the sexiest thing to do for a polit for politicians or heads of government. It's um, it's not quite the same as uh, yeah, something more consumer facing. So generally speaking, everything you know we talked about. What maybe you've you've already talked about it, but what what do you think the nickel mining industry needs right now? What do you think it needs in the next decade? Uh, oh well, non-Chinese investment in new supply would be one thing. Um, I think I mean. Yeah, I mean, it needs more investment would be the, the number one thing is is not, not the, and the challenge is, you know, we're not talking about we need that material right now. We need it in five, six, seven, eight years, um, so which is always challenging for, for the investment community to kind of look at. But um, it needs that. It needs mining companies to, to expand supply to meet that rising demand in the late 2020s. Um, we're at a reasonably high price right now, you know, as I said, over $17,000 per ton, which historically, if you look back, is, is reasonable, but it 
you know, it probably needs to be a bit higher than that to incentivize new supply. Um, and also like with, you know, many of, you know, many mining, uh, shall we say the reputation of, of the mining industry in general is probably a more accurate phrase is that um, just a bit more work on kind of proving its, its environmental credentials, whether that be, as I say, changing the tailing options in Indonesia, uh, zero emissions production using renewable power. Um, those are kind of common themes across not just nickel, but kind of all mining essentially. Right. So on the, just on the investment thing, um, who, who are those investors? What, what portion of the investment community needs to? So a lot of the, you know, the money would come from um, d- typical kind of um, debt, debt facilities that you'd see normal, you know, any kind of normal, um, uh, cap- not capital raising, but any kind of access to, to debt capital that you would expect for a mining operation. So that's kind of large investment banks, uh, some funds, you know, what you've seen typically in the battery supply chain, a lot of money has been raised via, via equity raisings rather than traditional debt sources, um, which you would think would have perhaps started to change by now. I think it's still very difficult. It's been difficult for the financial community to get into uh, investing in, 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 raw battery raw material operations partly because you've had this period of relatively low prices so you know tomorrow's investments are decided on yesterday's prices obviously that makes it difficult if the price is low and also you know that these markets haven't been up until you know relatively recently were not known or not looked at by a lot of the financial community and they're still relatively new to them so um, there's a learning curve there which obviously there's a huge amount of banks which are up that learning curve but there's still some that have you know, probably need to do a bit more work. And are those, uh, do you think those, even on that side, the financing side, uh, China's sort of ahead of, they're more um, progressive and uh, forward looking on that, or is it um, not not so imbalanced, like the mining and processing? Uh, they're quicker to act, I think, um, and more willing to take on risk. So that's basically what you need in terms of like a land grab for raw materials. If you can do it quickly and you know, you're less risk averse, you're going to win. So um, yeah, I think what yeah, we've seen, and this is not a recent thing. I mean, China have been buying up resources um, over for years now. And you know, there's still, I'm not saying it's not happened else from other, other regions or other nations, but it's certainly been on a kind of, let's say a, a minute scale compared to, to what China's done. This is fascinating. We're, we're getting close to the end. To the end. I don't, don't want to keep you all day, but this is really interesting. So I appreciate all the detail. Um, uh, so I don't think you can say any much or anything about this. I'm, I'm not sure, but can you say anything about how if, you know, Elon hinted at battery day that he was he had been talking with heads of nickel mining companies, the, the big ones, the big mining companies, I think. Um, can you say anything about negotiations or progress on the kind of making those those deals or getting push Tesla pushing the bigger companies to to develop more or faster or yeah I mean yeah I wouldn't as yeah as you kind of said I wouldn't be able to comment specifically I can say kind of more generally I think that um, you know certainly the battery supply chain is engaging more with the nickel industry um, you know three years ago you would argue that the focus was entirely on lithium and cobalt really in terms of battery raw material sourcing and you know that shifted now where nickel was also up that priority list um you 
yeah, yeah I mean, the, the negotiations will be ongoing. Um, there's still a long way to go. And there's still, you know, people still don't necessarily know exactly the volumes that they're going to need. And that makes it very hard for, um, right. for miners to invest in new, uh, in expansions or new supply without a con concrete contract. Um, so I think there's still a lot of work to be done, to be honest, but you know, it's not only nickel, there's still, there's still work to be done throughout the entire supply chain. It's still in the really, you know, the, the early days of, of this whole story. So um, yeah, there's, it's a, the supply chain kind of, you know, needs to mature a lot more. Yeah. And I think it was, I think Howard might have mentioned that they, uh, he had used the word like efficient mining or something. And, and they, they pulled that out to mean like they're, they're, they're pushing for lower, they want lower prices than what they're, uh what they're seeing or something like that but yeah i mean everyone wants lower prices right you know that's yeah, the golden yeah. ticket. <laughs> the, you know the push the, the the challenge that i think also makers well there's a number of challenges they have but one of the major things they have is particularly for uh i mean not just for nickel nickel you do have kind of an act well you do have an active hedging market but they don't have any kind of price protection like they would get for something like steel or al aluminium historically so it's very hard for them where you know you're looking at these incremental improvements in reducing sell costs you know you might move it down by a few dollars per kilowatt hour on, on an annual basis now and now we're you know getting to the kind of hundred dollar per kilowatt hour range um and that can be wiped out very, very quickly with a shift in raw material costs. So yep. um, that's the the bit that I think, you know, all of these automakers are looking at and just panicking about, you know, okay, maybe we can deal with it for the next few years, but what happens when 50% of our sales are electric vehicles and the price of lithium and cobalt, you know, goes up by 30% or, or something, you know, over a period, short period, how do we reduce our risk? Um, and that's kind of the major challenge, you know, you can't go into a car showroom and they say, you know, today it's $35,000, yeah. but tomorrow it could be $40,000, you know, on the cross of the battery. You know, and that's the, that's the big challenge. Yeah. I, right before you mentioned them panicking, I started having mildly panicking because I mean, this is, this is my concern. Like, uh, this is, this seems like the biggest area that could slow down progress is you you have that sort of question mark on the battery pricing. And um, well, one of the most interesting things you, you noted here about that too was, uh, like you said before, you know, automaker, the EV industry is just a very small fish in a big uh, ocean of nickel, of the nickel industry. And you're saying that, you know, the, now there's discussions more, you know, going, they're, they're getting, there's more of a communication going on to, you know, to notice that the EV industry could be a, a significant part of the, the nickel industry in, in the next five to 10 years. And, you know, sort of how, do, how does that work out? How do you make that work, right? Yeah, as you say, I think the key thing is, and, uh, you know, is to communicate what you, your, your expectations of demand over as long a period as you can. Now, I know that's difficult because you know, no automa automaker knows what their sales are going to be in five years time or 10 years time. But um, be as transparent with the communication as you can. Um, I think either, I mean, I'm hesitant to say like uh, investments in mining operations directly, but some kind of joint venture or partnership or guaranteed offtake is going to make that a lot easier to secure your raw materials. I mean, if, if there is an investment in an operation, you're going to protect your, your, yourself in the future from price volatility because you can probably guarantee some fixed pricing or some discounts. But um, yeah, I think the, you know, it's, it's going to have to, it's starting to become 
a situation where you're going to need more upstream joint yeah, partnerships or contracts to, to ensure you get your supply. Because at the moment, the issue you've got is a lack of capital going into the space to ensure future production. It takes typically kind of best case scenario, seven years to bring new, new supply online. And, you know, if you look at, so something that gets, you know, if you're looking at adding new supply today, it's probably not going to be here till the late 2030s. So a really long time out for any auto company to think. And uh, so, yeah, we've talked about that in the past and written about it with regard to lithium, but it's basically the same for nickel, cobalt, anything, right? That that you sort of... Yeah, that that kind of time frame. And, and it's the same, yeah. So kind of supply partnerships are probably going to, to benefit you now that, you know, you haven't seen that investment pre ahead of ahead of time so um yeah okay yeah so this is a very helpful last question is just um a big one i guess it's just getting to the topic of of cobalt um can you say anything about progress on the ethics of the cobalt supply chain and or cutting demand for cobalt off obviously we've talked about you know there's a lot of push to sort of move cobalt out or, or reduce it um but can you also speak about the progress improving the supply chain itself yeah um yeah i, I mean i can tackle both i mean it's quite, they're quite big questions so i'll try and keep it uh yeah brief. yeah i'll just i'll just let you talk but uh <laughs> but yeah it's, it's a lot that you know i could probably uh, sit here for an hour and listen to <laughs> so i'm um, kind of unpacking the kind of ethics side of of cobalt so i think the first thing to say is that there was perhaps some misrepresentation in the media about you know where cobalt comes from and you know you see stories saying that all cobalt you know it comes from you know child labor and it has you know your human rights abuses should we say um which is just not realistically the case the vast majority of cobalt from the drc comes from um industrial operations in terms of in volume terms um but there is a problem right there is even uh, you know one one gram of child labor cobalt in the supply chain is not acceptable so you need to obviously get rid of that and over the past few years since about 2016 we've started to see that really happen so you've seen the the supply chain um interact with the artisanal mining community in the drc and work with them to develop what are called either model mines or, or kind of pilot model mine operations where um you know mining by hand as artisanal is is not a problem it's it just means it's mined by hand rather than by a machine that's fine as long as it's safe you know no one's there's no forced labor there's no child labor um you have the legal right to do so etc uh, etc et so the industry has worked with the artisanal um part, uh, workers in the drc and is starting to change that so we're seeing this improvement in terms of um artisanal becoming a legitimate source of cobalt that isn't with the risk that is historically been associated with. You've also seen um, the DRC government has stepped in um, and they've set up a, a government body which will essentially manage uh, per- or purchase the artisanal cobalt and then sell it back to the in- to the industry. So with you know seal of approval, that will be um, there's, a, there's a trading company called Traffic Euro, Swiss trading company who are working with the DRC government to develop that now. Still a few question marks on exactly how that will work, but so you're starting to see a number of different um, organizations and bodies um, work with the supply chain to make it happen. So uh, the one that people may have heard of is the Fair Cobalt Alliance, which is 
um, something which Tesla Tesla signed up to probably five or six months ago, maybe it was this year, any, oh, sorry, 2020 anyway, yeah. uh, and Glencore as well, who are the largest cobalt producer in the world. So that is starting to improve. So you're, you know, you're kind of reducing concerns about uh, unethical cobalt um, in the supply chain on that front. And then, you know, trying to keep things relatively short and cutting cobalt demand is still, is still ongoing. Um, we, uh, for those, you know, if people don't look at this sector as closely as, as perhaps some, uh, some others, um, historically, we're like a NCM nickel cobalt manganese cathode type that goes into the majority of EVs outside of China, um, or pretty much all EVs outside of China, actually. Um, that was made with even parts nickel, cobalt, and manganese. That was called 111. And then over time, the, the blend changed to 523, so five parts nickel, two cobalt, three manganese. In 622 and ultimately the goal is to move towards 811 or high nickel as we call it so eight parts nickel one cobalt one manganese the issue with doing that is that um you reduce the life cycle of the battery so it won't last as long as it needs to under warranty obviously big financial implications for whoever the automaker would be if they if they didn't have the technology working correctly and also um there's a reduced uh thermal stability so it, theoretically at lower temperatures the battery could catch on fire so you need to do more with the battery to ensure that it's thermally stable uh, um, at lower temperatures the, so, there isn't there a production for 811 batteries already started in some with some companies yes yes there is so um, for example tesla use 811 in their model 3 uh, made in china um, from LG Chem. So Tesla uses a cylindrical cell format, which is um, uh, makes it easier to use 811 because the cooling of the pack is is easier. And Tesla have a very good or have very good pack technology, which enables them to manage the temperature really effectively. The majority of automakers haven't used cylindrical cells. They use either pouch or prismatic, where thermal management is a bit more challenging. Um, and so what you've seen is some companies have looked to introduce 811, but have had problems with their batteries. Um, and still you're, you're seeing companies who've said they would have already introduced 811 and haven't been able to. So I remember back in 2017, LG Chem and SK Innovation both said they would have 811 sales ready for commercial use by 2018. Then they said yeah. in 2018, they said it would be 2019. And in, now we're in 2021 and those sales still haven't really come to the commercial market. They have in some ways with mixed reception. So it's yeah, wasn't ongoing. There, wasn't there a production facility that had a had problem with the, with fire from, the, from that? There have been some, well, there's been some vehicle fires recently um, and some recalls, shall we say, not necessarily fires, but some battery re recalls based on the batteries which is still under investigation. So it may not be specifically down to the cathode type, but um, you know, there's, there are, there are challenges with pushing. Essentially what you're doing is asking more and more out of the battery. And with that, obviously you're putting more strain on the battery. So it, you need to do more to keep the cathode stru crystal structure in place and also to manage the temperature. And all of those things are, are very challenging, particularly doing them at super high volume production. So what we're seeing is that actually that transition to this high nickel cathode is taking longer than expected. Now that has implications for cobalt, nickel, and lithium because you do use two different types of lithium for that. 
Um, and that's extending, essentially extending some carbonate demand longer than people expected, whereas typically for high nickel used uh, lithium hydroxide. So um, it is ongoing um, and it, you know, it's, it's the trend, it is gonna happen. It's just that timeline keeps getting pushed further and further, but we're, we're as you say, we're getting to the time now where 811 is going into some vehicles on a commercial scale. Yeah, I didn't realize that that altered what, what type of a lithium you needed. Um, that's interesting. Uh, so that's basically it. Thank you. I, thank you. I'm, I'm sure there's there's more, but I've uh, had you talk almost nonstop for an hour. So that's probably not something you do every day. So I uh, appreciate it. Uh, really an enormous amount of information here. We're going to think break it up into a couple of episodes and articles because it's uh, it's a lot to, to digest, um, especially if people are not already familiar with a lot of it. So uh, thank you so much. Any any final comments um, on any of this? Um, I mean, I think, yeah, as you say, we covered a lot of ground. Um, I'm sorry if I went through things a bit quickly, but um, yeah, no, no. I mean, just that, you know, I'm, you know, I think 2021 is going to be a really interesting year for the battery industry. And um, yeah, if anyone's interested in getting some more detail on kind of what I've talked about today, please reach out to us at uh, benchmarkminerals.com. Um, or info at benchmarkminerals.com is the email address and um, yeah, make an inquiry. But yeah, I just want to say thank you for inviting me on the podcast and um, yeah, it's been, it's been good to talk. Yeah, no, we, we hugely appreciate what you do. You get a lot of um, recommendations from around the industry. People think highly of you follow, you know, follow some of Simon's um, uh, public statements and whatnot. So uh, yeah, thank you for leading. Uh, you had a lot of, I guess, foresight to get into this when it was not the hottest topic in the, in the world. so uh good congrats on that uh thank you, thank you very much thank you for listening to clean tech talk join us next time to get your electric fix If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. (laughs) 